am especially happy uh, to talk with you all about a subject that I think uh, uh, is just now being admitted by so many people. Uh, I, I remember when I was a young Christian here in the U.S. and uh, people just didn't talk about their doubts. If they did, they talked about it as something from the past. Um, but uh, I think now more and more people are, are saying, no, this is part of life and this is part of faith. And my doubts won't hurt me as much as keeping my doubts a secret or being afraid to admit my doubts will hurt me or pretending that I don't have doubts will hurt me. And so um, uh, I'd like to uh, talk about faith, uh, faith after doubt. Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Wall. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. If you'd like to let us know, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with the digital connect card. Just tell us about yourself, and you'll get more information about The Wall. Thanks for being with us today. Th today is a special day for us. We're welcoming our special guest, Brian McLaren, for an exclusive online interview with The Well. And we're going to get to that to just a second. Of course, today's Palm Sunday, uh, the day that we think of Jesus entering Jerusalem the week that he was crucified and we believe raised. And, and as he entered Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, the people threw down palm branches in front of him as a sign of, of paying homage to him and welcoming him to Jerusalem. And, and so we're thinking of the Easter story. And of course, Easter Sunday is next Sunday. And we're going to celebrate Easter. We'll actually uh, wrap up the series based on Brian McLaren's book, Faith After Doubt, tying it to the Easter message, talking about what uh, Easter means in our journey of faith after doubt and, uh, and what the resurrection can mean for some kind of new faith, new journey, uh, new journey in, in harmony, as Brian talks about uh, in the book. And so join us for Easter Sunday. Next Sunday, there's an Easter egg hunt for the kids. And then the, the Sunday after that, April 24th, we have Well Kids Spring Blast, the special activity for kids with bounce houses and face painting and balloon art. And then we all, we're also starting a brand new series on April 24th, called The Family Tree, The Denominations of Christianity, where we get to learn about the various branches of the Christian faith over the centuries. And most importantly, it may be that in your faith journey, the kind of thing that we're talking about here in Faith After Doubt, that, that the thing that helps you take the next step in your faith journey is some nugget that you pick up from the past, some branch of Christianity over the centuries where it may be something that you've never heard before. And for the first time, it unlocks a new door, helps you take a step forward. And so we're looking forward to that series and want to invite you to come back April 24th um, for the start of The Family Tree, The Denominations of Christianity. So I'm going to give Brian McLaren uh, a proper introduction here, and then we're going to watch this interview with him, especially if you, if you have questions, if you have doubts, if you have pain from church, if you've had painful church experiences uh, with abuse, with hypocrisy, with disappointment, or you have intellectual questions, and, and, but it's not just intellectual, it's affected your relationships, and there are even rifts in your family because you don't believe the same things they believe, and you're wondering, is there anything left for me to hold on to? Is there any way for me to be a person of faith, or should I just chuck the whole thing? I encourage you to watch this interview, and I think you'll find it inspiring and helpful, maybe, maybe in surprising ways. And so, 
I'm going to give Brian McLaren a proper introduction. A former college English teacher, Brian D. McLaren, was a pastor for 24 years. Now he's an author, activist, public theologian, and frequent guest lecturer for gatherings in the U.S. and internationally. His work has been covered in Time Magazine, Newsweek, USA Today, The New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, and many other media outlets. The author of more than 15 books, including Faith After Doubt, the forthcoming Do I Stay Christian, coming out next month, and A New Kind of Christian. He is a faculty member of the Living School at the Center for Action and Contemplation, and Brian McLaren lives in Florida. He's a, a friend of mine. I'm honored to be able to say that, and I'm so excited for you to see this interview with Brian McLaren. Let's watch. Well, Brian McLaren, welcome to The Well. We're so glad to have you here. So happy to be here with you, uh, Ryan. Yeah, it's good to see you. And um, as, I've, as I've already said, um, my respect for you is immeasurable. And uh, for, for the work that you've done, um, and folks here at The Well love you so much and appreciate you so much. I've gotten the opportunity, the honor to, to be in your presence personally. And uh, I tell people anytime that you come up that you are uh, every bit as good of a human being as you are a writer. And well, that's very, that's very nice of you to say. And I have to say that the feeling's mutual. And I'm, I'm so grateful for pastors like you and congregations like the well. Well, well Brian, it's so good to have you. So we're in this, uh, this study of your book, Faith After Doubt, why, why your beliefs stop working and what to do about it. That's our Lenten study this year. And uh, you are capping that off here this morning with, a, with an interview uh, exclusive for the well. And we so appreciate you being here. So is it okay if we just kind of dive into questions? And I'd love Let's to hear from right you. In. Yes. Uh, we, we just want to hear your heart. So in your experience, um, what are some of the most common reasons that a once certain believer is thrown into a journey of doubt? Uh, is, it, is it intellectual questions, hypocrisy? What, what role has right-wing politics played? What usually is the inciting incident that throws people into this journey? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I think, as you can imagine, Ryan, there are so many different answers to that question, but there are certain patterns. And one of the patterns, almost all, uh, almost all dogmatic uh, churches, by the way, this is true of mosques and synagogues and, you know, Hindu temples and so on. But wherever there's authoritarian, authoritarian religious leaders who have a dogmatic approach to faith, so that if people don't agree with them, they'll be shunned or shamed or excluded. Wherever there's that kind of community, there's almost always an insider-outsider dualism. Mm -hmm. We insiders are good, all of them are bad. And, and this very strong, the, the way that you build unity among us is by building hostility to them. Mm. And, yes. and, in those, and in those cases, two problems frequently come up somebody on the inside turns out to not be so good <laughs> or somebody on the outside turns out to not be so bad. Oh, uh, um, yes. So, you know, you think of a, a kid who grows up in the Catholic church, sincere, uh, you know, he loves the mass. He loves the nuns. He loves the priests and he becomes an altar boy. And after church, they're cleaning up after mass and he's, you know, abused by the priest well what does he do now hold it these are the good guys and maybe if it's just this one incident with this one person he brackets that out but mm -hmm. 
But if there's a second or if there's a third or he starts hearing that this has happened to other people. So very often the disillusionment comes when the insiders aren't as good as they said. Among Protestants, you know, the pastor writes a book, 10 Secrets to a Perfect Marriage. And then you find out he's having an affair with three different women and gets divorced, right? Or, you know, there's just so many of those stories. But then the flip side of that is you're told, you know, gay people are an abomination and they're terrible and this and that. And then your best friend or your child or your boss comes out to you and, and you find out, gosh, that just wasn't true. This is one of the really kind and good hearted people I've ever met. And so, uh, or you're a Christian and you're told that Muslims are terrible and, uh, uh, you know, what, whatever, whatever it is, when that binary breaks down, that very often uh, brings pain. I'll just mention one other that's very, very common. Sure. And that is that, uh, you know, in Christian settings, preachers often make promises. Um, all your sicknesses will be healed if you mm. pray in faith and, you know, all that sort of thing. And when those things come crashing down, not only does a person have suffering, because they're sick and they can't and they aren't getting better, but then they have diso faith disillusionment on top of it. You put up that that often leads to deep crises. Yeah. So so folks on the inside realize that things are not what they have been portrayed to be. Yes. In some way or another. Oh. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I, I I remember once I uh, I had a friend who was a pastor. And I was with him and his wife, and his wife said to me, I stopped going to church a year ago. And um, she said, I'm in the middle of a faith crisis, and my husband is soldiering on, but I'm just not with him anymore in this. And I said, what happened? She said, the product did not perform as advertised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that happens so often, doesn't it? Yes. And, and you know, the, part of this you know, people say, yeah, that's so religion is false. Well, no, but people make false claims, uh, yes. exaggerated claims. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and so we're thrown into this journey for folks who can identify with what you just said. They're thrown yeah. into this journey where not only is it intellectual questions, but it's, it's wrapped up in, in an emotional and, and mental journey and relational yes. journey as well. Um, I deeply appreciated your transparency. Uh, when, when back in the, back in the days when you were a pastor, you tell the story on, on page uh, 27, when you were a 38 year old pastor and, uh, and then, uh, you shared about your own, be the beginning of your own journey. And then on page yeah. 28, you wrote this, the greatest threat to our moral and spiritual health wasn't questions or doubts, but rather dishonesty or pretense about our questions or doubts. So for somebody who knows they have doubts. They, they've been thrown into this journey, whatever it is, mm -hmm. like you just described. For somebody who knows they have this doubt, these doubts, but they're afraid to admit them, yes. what, what price is there to ignoring their yeah. questions and doubts? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, some people might be familiar with a, a brilliant, wise uh, writer, Quaker, beautiful Christian man named Parker Palmer. Mm -hmm. And Parker describes this, he describes what he calls being divided. When you're divided, your face smiles um, because everybody wants you to smile. 
And when you're divided, you nod your head because everybody wants you to nod your head. But when you aren't really smiling on the inside, and when actually you're shaking your head on the inside, but you keep nodding your head on the outside, you're divided. Yes. And, and that act of being divided, look, all of us, that's part of survival in some ways, right? You know, you, you, you go to your grandma's house and she gives you her favorite stew and you take one taste and something's not right. That's nice, grandma. You know, but we do that sort of thing to avoid harm and hurt. Right, right. But, uh, but when we live divided lives, we, we face this challenge because either we say to ourselves, I'm intentionally deceiving them, or we say to ourselves, I, I'm not going to allow what's going on behind the mask, behind the front, to even be acknowledged by myself, right? So we either deceive ourselves or we deceive other people. And when we live a life of deceit, uh, th that has moral consequences. If the whole idea of faith, if faith is worthless unless it's sincere, right? Yes. When we find ourselves in deceit, in the realm of faith, nothing is going to go well. Uh, it's mm -hmm. not going to be authentic. And yes. we mentioned authoritarians a couple minutes ago. And one of the things that I can tell you is this is how authoritarians work. Authoritarians work by, uh, by manipulating the gap between the mask and the real. Mm. And that wow, gap great is, that gap is, is how you, 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 yeah, we could give many, many examples of this, but you know, for example, yeah. the, the soldiers going for Putin into Ukraine, you know, if, if they say, I don't believe in this war, I, I, they're going to get shot by their own, uh, their own forces, yes. right? Yes. Uh, so, so they just carry on. The, the fear makes them carry on the deceit. And then you can find yourself doing terrible things. Yes. Right? And you say early on in the book that essentially when we make the decision to, to not be honest about those questions and doubts, our faith decomposes into yes. something stagnant. I love that phrase. It's, it's, yes. it's so, um, it's so, it so accurately paints a picture of what is happening, yes. I think, in the hearts of a lot of people. Yeah, and, and, it, and it hurts, doesn't it? It yes. really, really hurts. Um, and and, and I, I'm not trying to insult anybody or putting, put anybody down or cast right. shame on anybody. I, this is tragic. Like, I remember, I was a very young boy when I had gone to the library and read a lot of books, I was interested in nature. And I thought, gosh, evolution's a fantastic theory. It explains so much. Like I'm nine or 10 years old and it's making sense to me. And I go to church and I say something in my Sunday school class and the, the Sunday school teacher says, you either can believe in God or evolution. You can't believe in both. Mm. And there's a sort of sternness to his voice. And I realize it's no use arguing with him. So I'm just going to be quiet. And I suppose that's what some people do. They don't want to lie. So they just withdraw. Yes. And, um, and, and so in various ways, we are always negotiating this kind of, uh, this kind of struggle. And this mm -hmm. is why one of the things we need the most, and, and your congregation, the fact that your congregation is having this kind of conversation says that that's the kind of community your conversation is trying to be. We need a place. Yes where we can pull back the mask and say, look, I, I need to tell you what I really think. 
I need to tell you the question I really have. You can't do that just anywhere because people will stomp on you, you know, the, and and they'll shame you or kick you out or punish you in some way. But, Oh, what a gift it is to have a safe place. What a gift Mm. that is. Well, beautifully said, Brian. And and for folks who are, who are, who are tracking with you here and, and they're listening to you describe this process and they're thinking, that's me. <laughs> yeah. That you talk about uh, doubt as a crisis. Yes. That, that now it's, it's not just about, again, it's not about the intellectual questions only. It's, it's not just an emotional journey within. Now it's relational and it affects yes. our very identity. Yes. The way we view ourselves, the way other people view us, the way people treat yes. us. And, and we are thrown into that, that crisis of faith that certainly yes. does feel like a crisis. What would you say to somebody who, who says, yeah, this is me, and they yeah. are in, they're in crisis mode right now. They're feeling like flooded, this yes. sense of fear, and it's crashing in, and they know what's coming. Um, yeah. You know, they, they feel like they, they're afraid. They don't know if, where this is headed. They don't know if they should just chuck the whole thing. Yeah. Like, like you said, some pastors make promises and that they're going to be blessed and healthy and wealthy. And, and now they think they've, they've dropped their end of the bargain with God. Yes. Uh, there are some folks who know that Thanksgiving dinner is never going to be the same yes. with, with family. What would you say to folks who are, who are in that crisis right now? And they're wondering if there's hope. Yes. Well, the, I, I would want to tell them there really is hope. Mm. Um, I, I, but I tell them there are two ways for this to go badly. There's not just one. <laughs> I think what people are worried about is if I'm honest, everything will go badly. So I, what I'd start is I'd say, look, if you're dishonest, if you, ha- if you live this divided life, there will be consequences. It might be easier in the short run, but there'll be consequences for that. You can get in trouble that way. You can also get in trouble by blurting out everything to everybody. Um, so I'd say in between those two extremes, there is what I would always recommend to people. Uh, and that is you find one person who, you know, or, or if you have a couple of friends, you, you just find a very small group and you say, listen, I need somebody to be honest with. I don't think I told this story in the book, but my first experience with this was I, I was in high school and I was part of and I was sort of one of these new sort of on fire Christians. And I was part of this really, you know, passionate uh, group that I was helping lead actually. And one of the other leaders in our group was a a Catholic, young Catholic woman named Mary Lou. She was one of my best friends. And uh, we went to this fellowship group together. And I just thought a lot of what they were saying was crazy. I just thought, something happened. This group is going off the deep end. So I'm on the phone and I get up my courage and I say, Mary Lou, I got to tell you what's going on in our group. I just think they're saying a lot of things that aren't true. I think there's a lot of crazy things going on. And she goes, oh my God. And my first thought was, oh no, she's going to yell at me. And she's gonna... <laughs> she goes, oh my God. And then she said, I thought I was the only one. Oh, nice. And, yes. yeah. and in that moment, then it was like, oh, we can both breathe freely. It's yes. safe. And, and at, we talked. And then I remember at the end of our conversation, she said, you know who I bet is feeling this way too? It's so-and-so. And so, mm. um, you know, this is before cell phones and patching people. And so we said, <laughs> 
you know, one of us was going to call him and see if he was in the same place too. But it was just like, we just needed to not be alone. We needed to find somebody we could be safe with. We didn't even need the other person to agree with us. We mm. just needed the other person to listen to us. And, uh, and here's how a friend of mine said it years later, he, he would sign all his emails to me, FNMW, FNMW. And that meant friends, no matter what. Wow. This, Great. I'm, I'm your friend, not because we agree, not because you believe what I believe. I'm your friend because I care about you. Mm. And um, we can disagree and we'll still be friends. That's great. That's so, that's so it's so important for our human well-being. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe just one person, one, one, yeah. one friend, no matter what. You know, uh, there's a great song uh, by the old the, uh, songwriter Jackson Brown from my generation, although he's still putting out great music. Uh, and he said, uh, this won't be a perfect quote, but he had a song lyric. I think it was in Late for the Sky. He said something like this. Everyone I've ever known has wished me well. Um, mm. People ask you how you're doing to cover up how little they really could care. <laughs> But if you have a real friend somewhere, somehow all the other ones are easier to bear. And I think that's what he was getting. At. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Well, so for, that's great advice for somebody who's, who's just wondering what's the next step. Maybe find one person, one trusted friend, and, and they may be surprised even by who that is. And then, and then really, the, in my view, the heart of your book is that four stage model that you present. That's what... When I, when I picked up the book, you know, I'm a pastor. I've been at this for a while. And, and when I got into your four-stage model, I thought, I need this. And, and I, I just made a promise to myself right there. Oh, yeah, this is going to be a study at the well. Yeah, this is going to happen. Oh, that's great. Um, that's great. So I have found, and other folks I've talked with, too, that it is so hope-giving. And so would you care to, and I know you can't just, you know, reread the book here tonight, but or today, would you, would you care to summarize that four stages of sure. faith model that you present in the book? Sure. I can do it really, really simply. I think I can do it in four or five minutes. And, um, uh, and the first thing I'm, I'm going to tell you is that there are four stages. They're easy to remember. Simplicity, complexity, perplexity, harmony. I think you can see simplicity leads to complexity complexity leads to perplexity perplexity this is the one that is a surprise to people can lead to harmony um uh i, I want to give two provisos when i'm done they're two little uh, fine print but let me just give these four really simply simplicity is where almost all of us begin as children we we look at authority figures simplicity is very oriented toward authority figures because when you're a kid you don't know. You need. You don't know how the world works. You need somebody to tell you. So you have trust and authority figures, and and in simplicity, you want to divide the world into twos: right, wrong, good, evil, us, them, safe, dangerous, friend, enemy. All those binaries are how our brain works. And and we're young. We're getting used to to the world. And just to put things in those two categories is important work for stage one. It's where we should be in stage one. Um, and then in, in a healthy situation, you grow up, you learn that, and then you go out into the world and you find out that some people you thought were friends could actually be 
enemies. And some people who you thought were enemies could actually be doing you a favor. And, and those binaries get complicated. And, and like we were saying before, some of us aren't so great and some of them aren't so bad. And, and so that leads to complexity. And in complexity, instead of seeing the world in twos, you know, black and white or whatever, we see all kinds of shades of gray or we see full color. It's a way more complicated world. Now, instead of authority figures who tell us what to think, and uh, we are looking for coaches who teach us how to think. Uh, and, and we're looking for people who give us permission and the skills to think for ourselves. That's stage two. Um, stage three is perplexity. What happens when you learn more and more and more, so much so that you go back and you start questioning and doubting so much of what you learned in stage one and stage two. Um, and when you have this, you start turning your critique on what you have always thought. That's when you know you're in perplexity. Yes. And many, mm -hmm. and and maybe the, the last thing I'll say before I go to, to Harmony is that many people stay in stage one their whole lives, especially if they're in a, a fundamentalist religious organization that only allows people to be in stage one. It's authority structures, it's understanding of truth and understanding of God. All of that's wrapped up in a stage one way, and they don't ever let you grow beyond it. Some people get to stage two, stay there their whole lives. Some people get to stage three, stay there their whole lives. But some people, when they're in stage three, they start thinking, okay, I've questioned everything. I'm doubting everything. But how do I want to live? What kind of person do I want to be? How yes. do I want to treat people? I have to have some, some framework for my life. I can't pretend that life was simple as it was when I was in simplicity. Um, so how am I going to live with this unknowing as well as knowing? And when you, as soon as you realize, I have to live with unknowing and knowing, I have to live with trust and critical thinking. You know, in some ways, stage one dualism is this or that. And stage four involves the ability to say, I have to hold this and that. And, and what happens at this stage then is instead of being angry at everybody, why are those stage one people so narrow-minded? Why are those stage two people so shallow and pragmatic? Why are those stage three people so cynical? You say, of course, that's where I've been too. And so now you say people are where they are. They're working out what they're working out. I have to have compassion on them just as I have to have compassion on myself. And that's what harmony, that's what harmony starts to feel like. Yes. Could I just add a, a quick oh, proviso? Of course, absolutely. So the, my two provisos are, first, I think we all actually start in stage zero. When we're babies, um, we aren't even ready to be told right and wrong. And that's one of the reasons why stage one is so important. Because for any of us to become, to get along with our brothers and sisters or make it through school or hold down a job, we need some stage one people to bring us out of uh, stage zero um, uh, of what we might call infancy or narcissism or whatever we'd want to call it. And very often when we're under great stress, a lot of us who've experienced addiction or mental health issues, we realize that if we're put under enough stress, we regress to stage one. Mm. I'm sorry, we regress to stage zero. Yes. Um, and, and so that commonly happens. And then the other thing I'd say is if you spend long enough time in stage four, I think harmony becomes your new simplicity. And, mm. and then you live there long enough and you'll face 
a new complexity. And I think this ends wow. up becoming a kind of iterative process. And, uh, and once you go through it a couple of times, I think it just starts to feel like life. Life always involves a mixture of simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. Mm. Wow. So just a couple of things. I mean, so much could be said. Thank you so much for sharing that. A couple of things about harmony, then. You're talking about uh, it's this and that together, yes. which yes. is uh, it seems such a rare and difficult <laughs> uh, stage of living. Yeah. Um, but but so uh, so uh, peaceful at the same time, peace producing at the same time. And then also, I, you know, I just I hear the challenge for myself personally that that a trait of harmony is to. To no longer feel the need to to constantly condemn other people who haven't reached harmony yet. Yes. And that is such a challenge. That's yes. Especially yes. over the past few years and the rancor that we have seen uh, and that we've all felt, I think, in, in our yes. honest moments, um, that harmony, it, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful goal and a challenge yes. and one that many of us, I, I think, we know we need to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Brian, so much. And, and then right after that in the book, you talk about communities of harmony. Yes. And so here at the well, we want to be a community of harmony. Yes. We, we want to uh, be a, a community of people who will never, of course, never do it perfectly, but we want to embody at least the, the, the search, the openness uh, to, yes. to the experience of harmony. So uh, what would it look like for churches to be communities of harmony yes. <laughs> and, 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 and to thrive and create more communities of harmony. What would those communities yes. look like in your mind? What's your vision for that? Yes. So let me make a distinction um, between what I would call a, a stage four community and a four stage community. So let me explain it like this. Um, a, a, a stage four community would be a community that's primarily in harmony where people are in harmony. And I think there's a place for that. Um, mostly, you would have a community where everyone's in harmony because not long ago, they were all in perplexity. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Uh, and, and because when they were in perplexity, they were brought together by their alienation and struggle, and they managed to break through together into a different place. Yeah, I feel um, like you're reading sometimes... my email right now. You're reading our email right now at the well, I think. That's us, yeah. Um, and then uh, you could also have a, a stage four community because there are people who, who got kicked out of all the stage one, stage two, and stage, stage three groups uh -huh. um, yes. <laughs> uh, for not understanding them. And, and so they find themselves sort of uh, refugees together. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. and, and so that's great. Um, but what I think we really need are what I would call four stage communities. And what I mean by this is where we have leaders in the church who who are at home in that fourth space. They're, they're at home in, in harmony. But of course, if you're at home in harmony, you want to help other people. Mm -hmm. So that means you want to accept people in stage three who are in so much pain and angst and let them know you're doing important work. We don't want to rush you. You know, there's work of critical thinking and questioning and challenging. We want to help you. And then when you're ready, we want to help you move to the next stage, right? Yes. But you don't stop there. We want to help all those stage two people who are learning pragmatism and they're learning information and they've got curiosity. And what we want to do is we want to help them 
do complexity so that then they'll be able to do perplexity. And so they'll be, in other words, we want to help them make, and then we want to welcome stage one people as well. And, and of course, there, there's all kinds of things we have to say about that because in the religious world, this gets really tricky. But mm -hmm. if, if I could say it like this, if you have families, young adults who are in stages three and four, when they have children, their children are going to be in stage one, but yes. to be raised by stage three or four parents Great point. is very different than being raised by stage one parents. Yes. And to have a stage three or four pastor is very different than having a stage one pastor. And so, absolutely, yeah. So a stage four community then wow. would have it wow. more in harmony, but would be welcoming people in in all of the different. Oh stages. man, that's beautiful. I'm in, and what a challenge. Yes. But how great that would be, and it doesn't mean we don't we don't speak out for what's right and what's wrong. Silence benefits the oppressor, but it, but yes. it's perhaps the way we do it. Yes. Uh, I mean, what a beautiful goal. Yes, exactly right. And, you know, when you have this in mind, and of course, I, I'm not trying to impose this little four stage formula on the Bible, right? Uh, I mean, I, I read the Bible and I think it syncs up pretty well. But you take like the writings of Paul in the New Testament. Think of it like this. If stage one people read Paul, they will think that Paul is a stage one guy. It's all they can understand. Yes. Stage two people yes. read him. Stage three, stage four. So if you read Paul as a stage four guy, you read 1 Corinthians 13. And mm -hmm. what does he say? All of these things everybody's worried about, they don't really matter. What really matters is love. And, but he has to talk about all these other things, but he does it reminding them, these things don't really matter. The thing that really matters oh, is love. Nice. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Well said. So I, I always feel the need in interviews like this to just like fill the silence. But there's mm -hmm. there's sometimes when we just kind of need to ruminate on something mm -hmm. that that the kind of community that you're talking about is a challenge for all of us, even those of us who are, you know, we want to move on from perplexity. Yeah. And, and we know we want harmony. We read about harmony in the book and that harmony is the good yeah. stage and we want to be in harmony. But there, but there is a challenge that, it, that just speaks to our souls, I think, when, to hear you describe yeah. what that looks like uh, and, and how, how invitational and healing of a community that can be. Yes. Thank you for that. Well, thanks. And, and the thing I want to say is that I think each stage has its own beauty. Mm. But I think the next stage has even bigger and deeper beauty and the next stage, even bigger and deeper beauty. Yes. But each stage also has difficulty and, and uh, you aren't ready for the difficulties of building a four stage community until you've gone through the first three stages and all of their difficulties. Yes. And so oh. I, mm. I, I wouldn't want to give people the idea that, Oh, the first three stages are easy are hard and the fourth stage is easy. I'd want to say there's, this is life, folks, and there's difficulty at each stage. But boy, life is so much better when you keep growing into new difficulties <laughs> rather <Yes>. than just <laughs> always being stuck in the same little ones, you know. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, excellent, excellent. Well, I mean, one of the, I mean, you're talking about building a community that's not easy to build. Yes. And one of the, one of the hallmarks of a more fundamentalist faith is, is passion and zeal yes. and, and commitment and, and folks 
folks who will tithe because they're afraid they're going to burn in hell. And if they yes. don't, right. And, yes. and folks who are told that they have to go win the world to Christ and, yes. and convert their friends using little, you know, knickknacks from the Christian bookstore or something that present yes. the gospel. Yes. So once people start to move through these stages and, they, and, and, and reach a stage of harmony, is yes. it possible for a person in, in who's living in a, a fourth stage harmony kind of faith to be passionate? Yes. To be zealous and to care and to and to be uh, compelled to 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 live for goodness and, and yes. express this harmony. Yes. So let me say it this way. I think if we see it wisely, what we'll see is each stage has passion. Mm. Um, stage one has passion for being right versus wrong and us versus them and the good guys versus the bad guys. There's that sort of, there's a real passion for that, right? Uh, a passion to be right, a passion to be certain. Uh, the, yeah. Stage two is passionately curious. Um, when I entered stage two, I wanted to learn the Bible. I read through the Bible, you know, just about every year. I went to conferences. I read books. I had a passion for learning. I had passion for curiosity. I wanted to know more information. Um, stage three has a passion for honesty. Um, very often people in stage three are angry. They're angry at hypocrisy. They're angry yes. at injustice. Mm -hmm. So it's a passion to name injustice and a passion to scrape away the bull, you know, and get to the reality. That's passion. And then mm -hmm. stage four, I think, also has passion. And in some ways, it's a passion that builds on each of the previous passions. You do care about right versus wrong. That is something that stays with you from stage one. Mm -hmm. You just now have become wiser in the way you understand right and wrong. Oh, that's and right. you're still <laughs> interested in learning and curiosity. You're still interested in opposing injustice and unmasking hypocrisy. But now yes. you do it with love. And the passion to live and act in love, I think, becomes mm. this deepest, um, deepest passion. And, um, mm. and stage one to stage one people, they won't understand it. It doesn't look right. like passion. To you. Um, <laughs> And right. stage two and stage three people yeah. might not understand it. But guess what? Each of the groups doesn't understand the others too well. And hopefully, yes. at least when you're in stage four, you can be more understanding toward the people with their different passions in different places. Oh, beautiful. beautiful. May we get there. May it be so. Yes. Oh, we need it. We need it. Um, in, in, in churches like the well, there, as you alluded to earlier, there are a lot of us who maybe feel like we've reached that, that perplexity stage and we get stuck. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I could ask you, what would you say to somebody who feels stuck in any of these stages really? And they're, they're just yeah. not sure. Maybe they have talked about it, you know, with a friend and they're, they're, and they're maybe they've read some secret books. They've read you without telling anybody yes. else, you know, or one other yeah. person, but especially people who are stuck in perplexity. Yeah. And they just, they just don't feel like there's any place to go after this. What would you say to somebody who feels stuck there? Well, I, I don't want to sound too, you know, uh, uh, you know, airy fairy here or whatever. But I I want to share an experience that I had a number of times in my long, long time in stage three. I, I spent so long in stage three because I didn't know there was such a thing as stage four. I didn't know, you know. In some ways, I spent my time in stage three trying to get back to stage two, <laughs> and I guess that's why I wanted to write this book. But uh, 
uh, I, several times, I remember once I was standing in the shower, feeling perplexity, feeling angst. And I didn't hear any voice. I'm not trying to be, you know, spooky like that, but something inside of me, here's what I heard, go farther. Like it was this thing mm -hmm. saying, don't try to go backwards, go farther. And so the first thing I think I'd say to a person in stage three is your questions, your doubts, the things that make you angry, the, to say you're seeing something that, and there's, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. yes. and, and don't beat yourself up. I'd say, this is a good thing. And, and where are you gonna go next? How are you gonna go farther? And you may get to a place where here's the way I say it. You spend a lot of time practicing being critical. What happens when you become critical of your own critical attitude? In other words, <laughs> you say, I can criticize everybody. What am I doing better? You know, mm -hmm. and, and then you can be suspicious of people's motives. And then you think, well, what about my own motives? And you can be cynical right. and see, well, then you become cynical about your own cynicism. <laughs> and when you reach that point, I think is when something happens, you, because a lot of that cynicism and suspicion and critique gets wrapped up with ego. Like I'm better than those people. I see through what they don't see through. I'm brave enough to admit the truth that they're cowards, you know, to, and they want yes. to admit when you get to the point where you think I'm not so great myself, you know, I'm just a human being and they're just human beings. There's this kind of empathy, this kind of compassion. And I think that becomes for many people, the, the breakthrough. So the thing I would say is mm. go farther, don't beat yourself up and look for a breakthrough that takes you in the direction of compassion or empathy or love. Yes. Yes. So well said. And, and, Brian, I, I wish we had hours and hours and hours, <laughs> but, but that's why you wrote the book. And, and uh -huh. as, as we read and uh, our sermons are tracking with the book, we have an online connect group with people all over the country who are discussing the book at the same time. Um, you know, the conversation continues as we read and we discuss with all these, all these folks here for us through, through Lent this year. Now we're catching you at kind of the end of your faith after doubt uh, journey here and and on the cusp of releasing uh, a new book um yes. that that probably will help people build on the last thing that you were just dis discussing and yes. so it's it's called do i stay christian yes. and, and so would you would you mind taking a moment here the last question and and tell us about you know what's what's upcoming here do i stay christian mm -hmm. and uh, how that could maybe help those of us who feel like maybe we're stuck and we want to move farther Yes. So I wanted to write this book. It, it really sort of, I, I conceived of faith after doubt and do I stay Christian really as kind of uh, to, as part one and part two in many mm -hmm, ways, mm -hmm. because what's happening around the country and around the world is a lot of people are given a stage one faith and told that's the only kind of faith there is. And so when that stops working, they think, well, I can't be a Christian anymore, or they're given right. a stage two faith, same thing. And, and then many people end up in stage three and they think, gosh, I have nothing left. Uh, I'm done, you know? Yes. And so the, and, and I, so I'm totally empathetic for many people who are just saying, I can't stay Christian anymore, or at least grappling with that question. And, yes. Yes. Um, and so I wanted to write the book to help them. So the book has three parts and part one is just called no. <laughs> and so do I stay Christian? No. And I give 
the 10 best reasons I am aware of to not stay Christian. Mm. Um, And then the next uh, 10 chapters are called yes. And so what I do in those chapters, I say, listen, is there any way to stay Christian having faced what we faced in the first 10 chapters? And so that's what happens in the next part. And then at the end of part two, I say, look, some of us are going to stay Christian. Some of us aren't going to stay Christian. Whether you stay Christian or not, how are we going to live? And that's um, part three mm-hmm. is called how. And mm-hmm. to me, oh, wow. I actually think it's a more Christian question to say, what kind of human being do I want to be than what religious label do I want to carry on me? You know, so, yes. uh, and I actually think that was at the heart of Jesus' whole teaching. It wasn't what words do you say? What beliefs do you hold? It's how do you live? How do you treat people? To what degree is love at the center of your life? And so that's what the last part of the book really focuses mm. on. Well, thank you for that. When does it come out? Uh, May 24th. Okay, so not, not very long. Just a not couple of months long. away. So I, I have a feeling we're going to be doubling back after, after well, reading uh, Do I, I Stay I would look Christian? forward to that. I would look well, forward to that. Yeah, well, Brian, thank you so much. Thank you again for your entire career up to this point of of inspiring us for being a model, a, a pioneer of, of uh, really giving us a roadmap, especially those of us who just didn't know where to go and, and, and didn't have hope necessarily for, you know, for our, that, our, that our spiritual lives could help us be better people. Mm-hmm. And you have kind of uh, blazed that trail. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for, for writing Faith After Doubt. And thank you for your time here this morning with us. Well, thanks. It's very encouraging for me to be with you and to think about this beautiful congregation. God bless you all. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. Wasn't that interview great? I have such a deep appreciation for Brian and his insight. I think he's one of the most important spiritual leaders of the 21st century. And if you found yourself tracking along with him and thinking he's describing me, I'm the person with those doubts. I'm the person with those questions. I'm the person with that, that pain from church. And I don't know if there's another, if there's a, a, another chance for me as far as Christian spirituality goes, or if there's a, a kind of a community that I can be involved with. I hope you found that interview inspiring. I trust that it spoke to you. And if you are ready, we don't push people into you know, connection with the well if that's not where they are. But if you're ready, I invite you to connect with the well in some way. You're watching this right now. Maybe it's continuing to watch online. Maybe it's checking out an online connect group or coming in person if you live in this area or whatever it is for you. Or, or take the next you know, spiritual step wherever you are with a community of, of people who, who want to experience harmony the way that Brian talked about. I want to thank you for being with us today and invite you to pray with me as we close. God, thank you for Brian McLaren and his work. Thank you for the way that you've spoken to his heart over the years and and you called him and and you gave him courage and you sent the right people into his life and gave him the right questions and and insights and, and, and to just keep moving farther, to not give up so that he could write a book like this that could, that could help so many of us. God, whatever stage we're in, we, we pray that you would help us to move to the next stage, that you would help us to go farther, that we wouldn't be happy just staying where we are and, and getting comfortable and, and, and stagnant and even moving backwards, but that we would have the courage to keep on moving forward, especially for those of us who feel stuck in step three, in stage three, 
where we're feeling perplexity and, and, and cynicism and, and, and we're just not sure if there's anything worth holding on to or we should just chuck the whole thing. God, I pray that we would have the courage to move on and, 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 and go farther, whatever that looks like for us and experience harmony. As we think about Easter next week, we think about new beginnings. The Easter story, if anything, <laughs> means that whenever we think it's over, it's not over. As Frederick Buechner said, the worst thing is never the last thing. That's the Easter story. And for those of us who feel stuck and, and we just don't know where to go, we don't have hope for our spiritual lives, Easter is all about hope when there seems to be no hope. So God, as we enter the Holy Week and, and we, we move now towards Easter, may we have hope that something new can rise up in our spiritual lives, that we can experience something better and we can move farther into that next stage, whatever it is for us. And we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you that your spirit is speaking to us and working in us. And we thank you that we get the chance to, to live life and move farther towards an even better life and a more meaningful life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.